Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. We started a series last week based upon the third step of our process. We've, we've been talking for about nine or ten weeks now that as, as a body we have a, pa- a process that's called pa- the passion process. We said that our number one goal is to encounter God, that when we come together and we have encountered God this morning, haven't we? God is in this house, and I'm so excited about that, and I'm so excited that we can come into His presence and He can change us. So we want to encounter God, but we said we didn't want to stop there, that we also wanted to be equipped, that it's not enough just to bounce off the walls. We've got to know why we're bouncing off the walls, and we've got to understand what's behind all of that. But finally, we said that we were going to come to this place in this process where we get engaged, where we actually take what we encounter with God, the experience we have with God, and we take all the information that is being shared with us on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and we move outside of this place, and we engage those around us. And so last week, um, we started a series called Let's Get Engaged. And I told you that in this process, we got to get our hands out. And I started last week in a sermon, uh, on, in, a, in a message that I preached to you called Assuming the Position, and that we have a responsibility. There is a place for us to be in. And I read to you out of the Old Testament where Moses turns to Aaron and says, Aaron, go run and stand between the living and the dead and stop the plague. And I declared to you that that is our position as a body, as individuals, if we are going to accomplish everything. Everything that God has for us, if God is going to use us to do great mighty things, we have to be in position. And our position is to get out there and reach those that are being killed by sin. We're not to just huddle up together. We are to go out and do things like we did on Wednesday night and reach our community and our culture for Him. So this morning I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. Verses 1 through 17, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. We're going to continue to talk about this idea of getting engaged. My message this morning is called, When Pigs Fly. All right? When, you'll understand here in a minute. When Pigs Fly, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. It says, Then they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken into pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And the man answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and, and they came... they. 
I'll get this right. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they, they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. When pigs fly. There are three lessons that we can learn out of this passage of Scripture. I know most of you have heard this passage all of your life. But when we begin to talk about reaching out to others and becoming engaged in our culture, there are some lessons that we need to learn. And the first one is this. Jesus was willing to go places and deal with people that others would have avoided. The Gadarenes was a place that was off limits to the Jews. Do you understand that Jesus was in the wrong place? He wasn't supposed to be there. A good Jew would not have pulled his boat up where Jesus pulled his boat up because of two reasons. First, there were tombs everywhere, so he would have become ceremonially unclean instantly. And secondly, Jews are not supposed to be around pigs. And yet Jesus pulls up right in the middle of a hog farm. Now, that doesn't mean anything to those of you that have never been out of Oklahoma, but those of you that have been to North Carolina and understand there is such a thing as a hog farm, you understand that Jesus, if he was a good Jew, would have not gotten with 500, within 500 miles of 2,000 pigs. And yet Jesus is in the wrong place, standing right in the middle of tombs, right next to pigs. Why? Because Jesus was willing to go where others would not go, and he was willing to deal with people that others would not deal with. So... Rather than running from this man when this man approaches Jesus, rather than ignoring this man, rather than ignoring this man or ridiculing this man, you know what Jesus does? He restores this man. And that is, in a nutshell, our mandate as the body of Christ is we are to be willing to go where everybody else is afraid to go and we are to be willing to deal with everybody else that, that we are to be willing to deal with people that everybody else is afraid of dealing with people that nobody else wants to have anything to do with, that's our assignment. And you would say, well, Pastor Steve, I don't know anybody like this man. Really? You really don't know anybody? You don't know somebody that nobody else wants to be around? There's nobody at your job that nobody else will talk to and goes out of their way to get away from? There's nobody in your neighborhood that everybody else makes fun of and they become the the butt end of a joke for them and nobody wants to spend any time with them and ridicules them and they're the punchline. You don't know anybody like that. You don't know anybody at your school that everybody else thinks is a freak and won't have anything to do with. You don't know anybody like that. Somebody that's a social reject, an outcast, that isn't acceptable, that doesn't have their life together like everybody else apparently has their life together. And so nobody wants to spend any time with them. There are people all around us like that. You know them. And I'm here to declare to you this morning that that is your mission field. That is your assignment. That that is who God has placed you in your job, in your neighborhood, in your school to deal with even when nobody else wants to. See, the truth is this morning that there are a lot of people that eat alone, work alone, cry alone, and live alone. I'm not talking about their marital status. I'm talking about their emotional status, their spiritual status. They are alone. Nobody will have anything to do with them. Nobody will touch them. They are off limits. You know who God is sending to touch them? You. You. The truth is this morning is that we all know somebody that lives in a cemetery. 
Oh, I know they live in a, a nice kept house and they have a nice yard and they get up in the morning and take a nice shower and they look all together. But the reality this morning is, is that most of us know people who live in a cemetery every day of their life. They are the living dead. They live surrounded and inundated and swallowed up and consumed by dead memories, dead dreams, dead love, dead hope, and they don't know what to do. And so what happens is they cut themselves. Some do it with words. Some do it with knives. Come on now. You know people that are destroying themselves with their words or with their actions. Some of the people that you know that are living in the cemetery are so bound that, that like this man, they don't walk around in visible chains, but they walk around in bondage to addictions and to habits and, and to actions that are just as real as if they went down to Home Depot and bought 42 feet of chain and wrapped it around themselves and put locks on. The truth is, is that they are just as bound as this man was. Here's the key. They just know how to hide it better. They know how to play the game. So they continue through normal life, and what God does is He positions us to minister to them. But hear me this morning. In order to be able to minister to them, you have to be willing to go places that nobody else will go, and you have to be willing to deal with people that nobody else will deal with. That's hard to do because we all want to be in the in crowd. And if that person is sitting over at the lunchroom table at your job and they're all by themselves and nobody else will go over there and anybody else that goes over there is talked about like they're talked about and you've been sitting at the same table with the same 14 friends all of your life and suddenly God prompts you and says, go sit by them, then you have a decision to make, will I or will I not be like Jesus and go deal with people that nobody else will deal with. I'm preaching real good right now. See, some of us need to walk out of our front doors, look to our right and our left, and we will find neighbors in our communities that nobody will have anything to do with and everybody laughs at and everybody makes fun of and everybody avoids. We drive by them every day and God is calling for us. I know everybody's going to be looking out their blinds and say, can you believe she's going over there? Can you believe they're going to spend time together? And you need to go over there and touch somebody like Jesus does. The second lesson we learn is this. There should be a reaction when people come into contact with the Jesus in us. There should always be a reaction. Jesus is minding his own business. He's on a journey. Nobody had called his office and asked for an appointment. No reservation had been made. Nobody had called ahead and said, Jesus, if you'll come over here, there's a man that wants to meet you. And so that Jesus goes out of his way to go there. He's minding his own business. He had barely gotten one foot out of the boat when this man, who is full of evil, demon-possessed by so many demons that they, they use the name. When Jesus says, what's your name? He says, my name is Legion. And understanding that the idea of a legion in a Roman army is 6,000 men. He is basically, for all intents and purposes, saying there are so many in a, in a, of us in this man that, that we create a legion. He's full of evil. He's running through the tombs, cutting himself, living in a cemetery. He's a madman. He's out of control. And Jesus barely gets one foot out of the boat, and there is a sudden reaction. The evil in that man responds and reacts to the holiness of Jesus. And he comes and runs, and he falls down at Jesus' feet. See, you need to understand something this morning. It is normal for that kind of reaction to happen when Jesus is around. In fact, not only is it, is it normal, it's inevitable. 
There is always, I don't know what it was about Jesus, but it seemed like everywhere Jesus went, one of two things happened. He either caused a riot or revival everywhere he went. Everywhere. There was always a reaction. There was no middle ground. There was no just looking over him. There was no ignoring his power. There was no ignoring his presence. Wherever Jesus went, something happened. So my question for you this morning is where has Jesus been lately? Walmart, Chili's, the bank, Starbucks, Blockbuster. What are you talking about? I'm saying that wherever you've been, Jesus has been. Because the Bible very clearly says that the same power that raised Christ from the, the dead, where does it dwell? In us. So everywhere we've gone, Jesus went with us. So let me ask you the really hard question. Here it is. What kind of reaction have you caused lately? If the same Jesus that stepped off the boat and a demon-possessed man couldn't help himself had to respond, if that same power resides in you, when you go to Blockbuster and step in the door, what kind of reaction have you caused lately? If the same power of Jesus resides in you that was alive and walking on the earth that day, it's in you when you walk into Chili's for lunch this afternoon, when you open up the door and walk in, where is the reaction? Because I have come to this conclusion We are overlooked. We are ignored because we don't have enough power. See, the truth this morning is that everywhere you go throughout your daily life, there should be some kind of reaction. Depressed folks ought to run to you. Broken folks ought to be looking you up. Addicted folks ought to be trying to get in your car with you because they understand if I can get in their presence, I'm in the presence of God and something will happen and and it'll break the chains off of my life. Suicidal folks ought to want to be spending time with you. Crazy folks ought to be beating on your door at home saying, let me in, let me in. I need to spend some time with you. Why? Because there should be reaction. So here's the question. Have you caused a riot or a revival lately? See, I I am convinced this morning that that our problem is, is we don't create any reaction. None. We just go through our normal life. And so what happens is messed up people come into our presence and when they leave, they leave messed up. No reaction, no, no, no change. You know what I'm telling you this morning? It's time to get engaged. The day of being overlooked is over. The day of being able to walk through a normal life and never cause some kind of reaction is over. In fact, the Bible talks about the, the disciples in the New Testament, and it says that, that people could tell that they had been with Jesus. How? Because in Acts it says they turned the world upside down. There was a reaction That's how they knew that they were with Jesus. Every time they got in the presence of a lame man, they'd stand up. Every time they'd get in the presence of a sick man, he'd get healed. There was a reaction. Hear me this morning. Signs and wonders follow us. We don't follow signs and wonders. Don't call me and say they're having a revival down the road and people are getting, uh, growths are dropping off and cancers are falling off. I'm not going to chase the signs. Signs are supposed to be chasing me. There should be a reaction. In Acts chapter 12, verse 18, one of my favorite portions of Scripture, there's a description there of Peter, and I love this comment. In that verse of Scripture, it says that Peter, hear hear me, caused no small disturbance. He caused no small disturbance. disturbance. In other words, everywhere he went, he created a big, chaotic disturbance. And what I am proclaiming and challenging you for this morning is this, no more small disturbances. 
You shouldn't be able to go through life and nobody know that you know Christ. No more closet Christianity that the only way they know we're saved is we got a passion sticker on our car or a fish on our bumper or we got a nice Christian little t-shirt on. No, there should be a reaction. It should either make them happy or mad. They should want to be in our presence or want to get out of our presence. One of the two. One, of the, one, one example of that is this. President Woodrow Wilson told this story. He said, I was in a very common place. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut. And he sat in the chair next to me. And every man the word uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done for me, I was aware that I had, in, uh, had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was sitting in the chair next to me. I per- this is what Woodrow Wilson said. He said, I personally lingered in the room after he left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They didn't even know his name. But they knew that something had elevated their thoughts and I felt that as I left that place, I should leave it as a place of worship. What happened? A reaction took place. Let me tell you what we do. We expect people, we, we just hold our breath hoping that somebody will come in here and have a reaction. We hope beyond hope. If I can just get them to church, they'll have a reaction. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Hear me this morning. You should be carrying the same spirit of this, that's in this house through your daily life. And everywhere you go, there should be a reaction. In the express lane, there should be an, a reaction. In the drive-through, there should be a reaction. In the turn lane, there ought to be a reaction. Everywhere you go, there should be a reaction. That is a challenging thought for us. Because most of us have been hiding Come on now. We don't really show our Christianity until we get together. Listen, house in the insurance company you're working in, God sent you there for there to be a reaction. Right? That's why God's placed you there. I could go job by job and begin. Creston, the reason you're at Tinker is so that there can be a reaction there. That's why. God has placed us and positioned us so that there is a dramatic and see. This is not a word. Seeable. Come on now, a noticeable difference while we're there. There ought to be a change. Now, let me tell you why we struggle with this. Here's the third lesson. The day that pigs flew was the day that we discovered why we struggle with this truth that we're supposed to cause a reaction. Are you ready? Because what happened is is this day shows us that we care more about pigs than we do about people. Now, I'm getting real. I'm going to be real blunt with you this morning. I've been chewing on this all week long, and God has been convicting me of this. We care more about pigs than we do for people. Notice, if you will, the people in this area had nothing to do with this man that was possessed. The only time there was any, any interaction with him was when they would try to chain him up to keep him from hurting himself and to keep him from hurting them. That's the only time they had anything to do with him. Notice, if you will, that... They don't run, the whole community doesn't run out and meet Jesus when he gets off the boat and say, Jesus, would you please come and touch our friend and heal this man? He's driving us crazy. They don't do that. Why? Because in Mark chapter 8, I went and read that an entire village came out to meet Jesus on the road and they begged Jesus to heal one blind man. 
So why wasn't there a village waiting when Jesus got off this boat and saying there's a guy out here living in the tombs and his life is in chaos and there's no hope and he's, he's tear, tearing himself up and tearing us up. We're scared of, why don't you come and they never even show up. Why? Because they care more about pigs than they do people. Not only that, I noticed this. Nobody prayed for this man. Why didn't somebody meet Jesus at the boat and begin to pray, Jesus, please come and heal him? You know the only time that they pray in the entire story? Go read it. I read it for you. They prayed that Jesus would leave. They don't pray for the man. They pray that Jesus would leave. Why? Because Jesus did away with their livelihood. The bottom line was is that they were more concerned about those pigs than they were about that man. They never cried over the man. They cried over their lost pigs. They lost their business. They lost the bottom line. They lost the dollar. And so suddenly they become concerned and they pray that Jesus would leave. And in doing that, it reveals to us that most of us care more about our pigs than we do about the people around us. Why? I believe this is what the Lord said to me. This week, he said this to me. We can't help others who are possessed if we are possessed with possessions. See, the truth is is, that if, is this. If we become so consumed with a new car and a new house and new clothes, what will happen is we have a tendency to close our eyes and our ears and our hearts to those around us that are in terrible, heartbreaking, demented situations. And our attitude becomes, as long as they don't bother me, I'm okay. But Jesus forces us to attend to the hurting. He won't settle for anything less than that. See, hear me this morning. Too many of us are concerned about the material things of life. We're not even concerned about people anymore. So here's what happens. If we have to choose between a cup of coffee at Starbucks and feeding an orphan, guess which one we choose? Oh, it's real quiet in here now. We'll go spend $4.18, or white chocolate mocha is $4.30. I know, I bought one yesterday. We'll spend $4.30 a day, most of us, on a Starbucks or some equivalent of Starbucks and yet it only costs 20 bucks a month to feed an orphan. But we'll choose the coffee every time. If, if we have to make the choice between driving a car with 70,000 miles on it or going and getting a brand new car so we can keep up with our neighbors and keep the persona up, we will go and buy the brand new car even though there was nothing wrong with the old car just so we can keep up, even if it means we can't really tithe, even if it means we can't give, even if it means we can't sow into a mission field, even if it means we can't go down to the homeless shelter and say, here's 20 bucks, feed 15 people this week. We would rather drive the new car so we look good. I have to do like Dr. Pike and turn around and preach back here. I'm telling you the truth this morning. This is what God said to me this week. We, we don't really care about people. We're looking out for us. If it means we, if we want to keep the lifestyle that we have right now, if it means that i got to go out and work three or four jobs or, or work 92 hours of overtime to the point that I can't come to church, I can't serve in some volunteer situation or I can't even watch my own kids play basketball or baseball. I will choose the work every time. Why? Because I care more about pigs than I care about people. I'm challenging you this morning 
that we've got to make a decision. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He says, don't hoard treasures down here where it can be eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it is safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. In other words, he's telling us if we care more about the clothes than we care about people, our heart will be turned towards clothes. If we're more concerned about cars than we are about people, we will be consumed by the car. He goes on and he says this in verse 24 25. He says, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than than the clothes you hang on your body. Hear me this morning. The challenge that we have as individuals and as a body is whether we will care more about people or will we care about pigs. It happens individually where you become so consumed about the cares of life that you can't reach out anymore. It happens to churches all the time. If we become more concerned about the pigs than we are the people, we will spend all the money on making the people that are already here happy and satisfied and comfortable and we'll say, forget everybody out there. As long as I'm comfortable, it's okay. Pigs. Pigs or people. There, there was something that happened in uh, three instances I want to bring to your attention. Here's one of them. A young woman was brutally attacked as she returned home to her apartment late one night. She screamed and shrieked as she fought for her life, yelling until she was hoarse for 40 or for 30 minutes as she was beaten and abused. 38 people watched the half-hour episode in fascination from their windows. Not one even walked, ever even as much walked over to a telephone to make a phone call to the police. She died that night with 38 witnesses staring in silence. Pig lovers. Pig lovers. Riding a subway, a 17-year-old young man was quietly minding his own business when he was stabbed repeatedly in stomach by attackers. Eleven riders watched the stabbing, but none came to assist the young man. Even after the thugs had fled the train and the train pulled into the station, he lay there in his own pool of blood, and not one of the eleven came to his side. Pig lovers. How about this one? A lady in New York City was shopping on Fifth Avenue in busy Manhattan. She tripped and broke her leg. She was dazed and in a lot of pain, and finally she went into shock. She called out for help. Not for two minutes, not for 20 minutes, but for 40 minutes as shoppers and business executives, students and merchants walked around her and stepped over her, ignoring her cries. Hundreds and perhaps thousands of people literally stepped over her to get by her even though she was crying out for help. And we'll sit right here and go, oh, man, that's so bad. That's terrible, man. I can't, oh, shame on them. That wouldn't do, uh uh-uh, that's terrible. And you know what? The truth is, is we step over people every day that are crying for help, and we don't even realize it. Why? Because we're pig lovers. We would rather spend our money and our time on ourselves than on anybody else. I'm going to get really basic for you here. You ready? Real down to earth right now. I want to ask you some tough questions. Are you more concerned about your career than you are the people around you who are bound? That's a real practical question you need to ask. Are you more moved by new jeans than you are by the junkie that lives down the street? Are you more aware of your physical 
issues, your clothes, your car, your house, than you are about anything else, and that consumes every minute and moment of your waking life. How do we know? Where is your treasure? I'm giving you an assignment this morning. You ready? Here's your homework. Go home, get your checkbook out, and follow the trail of your money. Because your money will reveal your heart. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. So let me get real basic. I'm going to, oh, this is tough. If you spend more money on coffee than you spend in tithes, you're a pig lover. If you spend more money on movies than you do on a mission field or a missionary, you're a pig lover. If you spend more money on CDs or entertainment than you do on the underprivileged, you're a pig lover. Wilbur Reese wrote this, and I think it sums it up for most of us. He says this, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beats with an immigrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. That is a powerful statement. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want about a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. How much of God do you want? And I am challenging you this morning. Some of you have been in church longer than you can even remember. And the, the reality for you this morning is you're sitting under the sound of my voice. And the truth is, is that you are a pig lover. Oink, oink. Wake up. Quit spending all your money on yourself. Quit spending all your money on your cars. Quit spending all your money on your house. Quit spending all your money on your clothes. God has called us not to spend everything on ourselves. Quit spending all your time on your family. There are other people out there that need some of your time. Quit spending all your time doing everything for you and for nobody else. There is a church that needs some help somewhere. There are some orphans that need a help somewhere. There is somebody dying and going to hell next door to you that needs help. And the only way you can do that is to ignore your pig long enough to really Realize that there's people out there that need us. The day pigs flew, we learned. They showed us living, glaring example that we cry over our stuff more than we cry over our sister or our brother. And I am challenging you this morning. As hard as I know how to challenge you, go home and make changes. Well, that's not fun, Steve. You're supposed to make us feel good about it. I understand you're good folks and you give sacrificially. You proved it last week. You proved it Wednesday night. But one outreach won't cut it. One little donation won't cut it. This is a lifestyle that we're calling you to where you don't just come to church. You are the church. And you act like the church in the turn lane and in the drive through and in the Pizza Hut, and in the Walmart, we act like what we really are, which is the body of Christ, and as soon as we walk in, everything changes because they react to what's in us. So I challenge you this morning. Let me tell you, I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. We need His heart. 
I am convinced that I do not have God's heart for people. I can watch people suffer and not even think anything about it. I am so desensitized by what I see on TV that now all I do, I've learned it in my living room. When I see something I don't like, what do I do? I change the channel. So I can ride down the highway and see somebody broken down, and I can change the channel. I can see somebody dying of AIDS, and I can change the channel. I can see somebody somebody fighting in brokenness. I can see a drug-addicted man standing on the side of the road saying, I will work for food. And you know what I can do? Change the channel. I suddenly have to have a conversation on my cell phone. Why? Because I love pigs more than I love people. But I'm not alone. That's who we are. I challenge you this morning. Make some changes. Stand with me if you will. Before we can ever engage our culture, we must first ask God to give us a new love for people. The Bible talks very clearly about the fact that most of us become consumed with the cares of life. It'll choke life out of us. And if we are going to have any impact at all, we got to change some things. We've got to become people lovers to the point that it shows up in our checkbook. Because when it shows up in our checkbook, it's for real. I can talk about it all day long, but until I turn my spinning habits, it's not really real. Why? Because my treasure is where my heart is. Father, search us this morning. Harsh word, I understand, but a true word. Father, you have given us a mandate to go where nobody else will go and touch people that nobody else will touch. We started that Wednesday night. I pray that it would become a lifestyle, that we don't wait on some calendar activity of a church. But, Father, in our daily walk, when I go to work, when I go to school, when I go to play, when I go through the drive-thru, that I will suddenly realize that I am not there by coincidence. You order the steps of righteous men and women. You sent me there on a divine appointment, an assignment. That person I'm talking to should, should cause my heart to break and should cause me to want to reach out to them. Father, you've also said through this story to us this morning that, God, we are to, everywhere we go, there should be a reaction. Some of us haven't caused a reaction in decades. Father, this morning I'm asking for a group of people, a body of people that would lead this place and everywhere they step foot, Jesus would show up and there would be either a riot or revival. There would be some kind of reaction. No more small disturbances. Help us to cause a huge disturbance at work. Help us to cause a huge disturbance at school. Help us to cause a huge disturbance in our neighborhood so that everybody understands who we are and whose we are. And Father, I pray you would challenge us this morning individually. I pray you'd challenge my people like you've challenged me this week. Driving in my car, you called me a pig lover and I didn't like it. But I had to admit it was true. I got my money on my mind. My mind on my money. Nobody else matters. God, challenge us this morning. 
to give until it hurts. Our time, our finances, our talents. God, that we would become a people that would cry over people and not our possessions. If I lose everything, as long as we impact people, it's okay. If I have to choose between my career and my neighbor, God, change my heart so that I'll choose my neighbor. If I have to choose between a new pair of shoes and feeding that kid that I may never meet on a mission field somewhere, God, I pray that I'd put the shoes back on the shelf, walk out of the store and write the check, send in the $20 a month. But Father, I pray that we wouldn't get so far out there that we wouldn't take care of one another in here. God, if there's my neighbor that I'm sitting to right, right next to right now is in pain or is in hurt or is in need, God, I pray we would not walk into this place and pat one another on the back and say, bless you, brother, bless you, sister, and never really bless one another. Help us to love your people more than we love your provisions. And so, God, I, I give homework this morning to this group of people, and I pray that they wouldn't be able to ignore it. I pray that as soon as they get home and have a moment, even if they try to forget what we've talked about this morning, your spirit would prompt them and they would feel driven. They can't sleep this afternoon. They can't watch a movie this afternoon. They can't watch a football game. They can't do anything until they do what you... I feel like you've challenged me to challenge them to do. They would get out their finances and they would look and see where their heart is. And they would make the adjustments necessary. God, I believe we're going to see it in two ways. First of all, we're going to see it in the tithe because some of us tip more than we tithe. We're going to see a change there. We're not just going to write out a certain amount every month and call that tithe. No, we're going to go search and figure out what truly is 10% and we're going to give it back to you. But we won't stop there. We will go one step further and we will find avenues and ways to spend our time and our finances on people because we know that they matter to you. They should matter to us. Give us your heart. Give us your heart. Give us your heart. Father, I bless my people this morning. I know the simple thing to do would be to give an altar call and ask them to come down and cry a few tears, but that doesn't mean transformation I'm asking for more than just a little feel good I'm asking for transformation in who we are and what we do so God I pray you bless my people enable them enable them equip them to engage this culture a change in Jesus name will you grab your neighbor's hand real quick
God, I pray real practically this morning that you would give me a heart for the person's hand, person that I'm connected to right now by holding hands. Some of us are holding hands, God, with people that we never talk to all week. They never cross our mind. We only see them at church. But Father, I pray this morning you give us our heart for them. And every morning when we wake up, we would pray for them. And every evening when we go to bed, before we go to sleep, we would call their name out. So that you get our attention off of ourselves and onto others. That's my prayer, oh God. Connect us. Help us to live in covenant with one another. Make us brothers and sisters like you want us to be. So for the next few just moments, would you just begin to pray for the person you're holding hands with right now? You've prayed for yourself this morning. Why don't you pray for them? Let God create a, a passion and a love for people in you this morning. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.